0: Good morning. I don't know if it has been said by me at least lately of what a wonderful congregation the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ is. It is a blessing to be a part of a church that is filled with so many committed families. And so I want to say thank you for the example that you are constantly setting. God has blessed this church with some wonderful shepherds who are selfless and giving And who are constantly seeking the welfare of the sheep of this fold. And we uh, owe them a debt of thanks that we can't tell them often enough. And so it is a privilege to have such shepherds to oversee us and overseers to help with the leading and guiding and the decision making in this church. We're also blessed with some talented men in Hiram and in David David his, does so much behind the scenes that you may not know a lot about outside of his great work with the college and young adults. Just one example is that one of the arms of communication or a means of submitting uh, nominations for elders is a QR code. Some of you may be able to just whip one of those out, but a lot of us could not do that. And so when you find those little QR codes with the dinosaurs in the middle this morning, it'll take you to a Google form where you can electronically submit names. That's just one of so many things that David does that are proven valuable to this church. And we're blessed to have Hiram and his family here with us. He is uh, so often in demand as he is this morning. He's preaching the gospel in Indianapolis Indiana and we're so grateful for the work that he does Monday through Sunday. What a minister, what a soul winner and we're just so blessed as a church. Perhaps the greatest comment that was made during this month of lessons on leadership was made by a very sweet person. Never ever tell you gender or uh, anything that would identify but in speaking about the lessons of this month gave a very honest assessment that might reflect how you may feel about informational lessons on leadership. They're not the most interesting lessons in the world. I I appreciate that assessment. So often there's information, it's not persuasion, it's not motivation. Now if you thought that this fourth installment was one where if you're not aspiring or being considered to be an elder was one where you could check out and just uh, think about those individual men, then you're out of luck because this is a lesson that reaches far beyond that very narrow focus ...and reaches all of us. It is, or it revolves around it, one of the most interesting great commissions in all the Bible. There's more than one. The one we often think about is the one at the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke... ...and to some degree at the end of the book of John... ...where Jesus tells the apostles, and by the extension, all of us... ...to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But have you thought about the great commission of Moses... When we read in Exodus chapter 4, where the Bible reading was done so well a moment ago, you can tell that Moses and the Lord are in the middle of a discussion. It had begun in an incredible way at a burning bush, a bush that burned with fire and yet was not consumed. But as we go to Exodus chapter 4, we see that it still does not lack for drama and visual effects. And at the heart of this particular discussion between Moses and God, we have Moses trying to convince God that he is not the man for the job of taking Israel and leading them out of Egyptian bondage. And you might recall that he's saying to God there in Exodus chapter 4 that uh, uh, with regard to himself, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't uh, believe that you have sent me to speak to them? And God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? And he says, it's a staff. He said, throw it down. And he did, and that staff became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And God told Moses to reach down and grab that serpent by the tail. And when he did, it became a staff in his hand. he said, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me are you to them. That's Exodus chapter 4 verse 1 through verse 5. Can you imagine having dialogue with the actual maker and creator of it all? And can you imagine in that dialogue that God on his end says, I want you to go and speak to the most powerful man on earth. And I want you to compel him at once and say, I want you to let go all of my fellow members of my nation, about three million of them from slavery right now or else. Can you imagine the God of the universe telling you that he wants you to be the one who leads an entire nation. If all of that was the case, would you not feel at least a little hesitant yourself? And so God has got to give him some motivation. He's got to give him some encouragement. He's got to fortify him. And, and the way that he does that is interesting. In Exodus chapter 4, he asks him a question. What is that in your hand? That's an important question. It's a question that God wanted him to call his attention to. And by application, it's a question not just for Moses on that occasion. It's a question for each and every one of us. It highlights the fact that God has placed within all of our hands something and something that he intends for us to do something with. So I want to ask you the question this morning that God asked Moses. Whatever it is that God has done by way of giving you a position of leadership, I want you to think about that question. We're going to make three observations about it today. What is that in your hand? As we consider that question today, the first thing I want you to consider is that there is something in your hand. Now for Moses, the something that was in his hand was a staff. The word is translated scepter or ruler. It was a stick. And that stick was used for a lot of different things. It was used to fight. It was used to to lead. It was used to walk. It was used to punish. And if you consider what it was that Moses was doing when God calls him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, he was enjoying a relatively peaceful time, wasn't he? He had it comfortable. He had it quiet. Serving as a shepherd for his father-in-law's sheep. And yet as he is spending 40 years, four decades in doing that, he has been very comfortable with that staff in his hand. And he's used it in a variety of different ways. And God points that out to him. That stick in his hand that he had already used in so many different ways, God is calling him to use. God is saying, I am going to do mighty things with the thing that is in your hand." If You think about the passage that was just read to us a moment ago as Harold read it to us in Exodus chapter 4 in verse 17. God tells Moses that he is going to perform wonders with that staff. And if we'll fast forward in our mind past this conversation that God is having with him and put him in the various places of leadership, think about what Moses is going to do. God is going to send him to perform ten plagues whereby finally Pharaoh was going to let the people of God go and he uses that staff on the occasion of bringing the plague of hail and then again to bring the plague of locust. And you'll recall that once that the Pharaoh has let him out, they're going and they're heading toward the land of promise and as he goes on his way, Moses uses that staff and he parts the Red Sea and all the children of Israel go through that on dry ground. And it's just a few days after that that the people are thirsty. They could not believe that the God who could part an entire sea and bring them all safely and then drown all the Egyptians who are following them, that he couldn't provide water for them. And so God says, look, what I want you to do is I want you to take that rod and I want you to strike that rock and allow water to come out. And so that's what Moses does with that staff that we read about in Exodus chapter 4. And he's not done with it yet. Do you remember when the Amalekites are coming up against the Israelites and you'd have to say that the Israelites are an underdog? And in this battle, in this fight, you have Aaron and Hur who are standing on either side of him. And it is said that during that battle, as long as Moses held his hands up with that staff in his hand, that the children of Israel on the battlefield were winning. But as soon as his hands began to sag, they began to lose to the Amalekites. And so finally you have them prevailing because the hands were held up. And from that we get this picture, don't we? Sometimes our hands are sagging and we need our hands to be held up. And the day that Moses had his lifted up, he had a staff in his hand. Now we might also remember that on one notable occasion, Moses misused the staff that was in his hand. Sometimes as Bible students we get confused and sometimes Bible teachers try to trick us and they'll ask, you know, uh, was it right or wrong for Moses to strike the rock with his staff? And the answer is yes. It was right the first time. It was wrong the second time in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 11 because God told him to speak and he struck instead so that the glory would come to him and not to God. But overall, Moses had a very powerful tool in his hand. It was a staff. It had practical implications for the work that he had been doing and God wanted him to continue to use the very thing that was in his hand to his advantage as he led the people of God. So here's our question again today, what is that in your hand? Now we can speak very specifically, but in general terms, what's in all of our hands are time and uh, uh, talent and opportunities. Now not all of us have the same talents. I read in Matthew chapter 25 verse 14 through verse 30 and there I see that there are some who are given five, some given two, some given one. The idea being that there are various talents, varying degrees of talents and there's no wrong if you're a one talent person versus you're a five talent person. It's what you do with what's put into your hands. We all have talents that differ. We all have unique opportunities. The job that you work, the school that you attend, the neighborhood in which you live, all the individual variables that make up your life make your opportunities unique to you. Nobody else has your opportunities. Not all of us have the same amount of opportunities, but we all have the same amount of time. Now, we may not have the same amount of time in the entire life that we live. Some of us may live shorter lives and longer lives, but every one of us have the same amount of time in a given day that we survive. The same amount of time in a week and month and so forth that we are allowed to live in. And God in the time, however much he gives us, expects us to use our talents and our opportunities to his glory. It was the composer Hector Berlioz who says that time is a great teacher, but unfortunately it kills all of its students When you think about time, time is this strange dichotomy, isn't it? It is the longest thing in the world, and yet it's the shortest thing in the world. It is the thing least valued. It is the thing most regretted. It is the thing that can be cut up into the smallest increments, and yet that which can measure the largest distance. And we read that the clock of time is wound but once and no man has the power to say just when the hands will stop at later early hours. To lose your wealth is sad indeed. To lose your health is more. To lose your soul is such a loss that no man can restore. We're told to put no faith upon tomorrow because then the hands may be still. But as long as there's time, we have talents and we have opportunities and God has placed them in your hand no matter who you are In the audience here today, God has put something in your hand. But the second thing I want us to observe this day is that God wants us to do something with the thing in our hand. As God has put that in our hands, you know what we're apt to do, and it's just human nature. We're apt to talk about what it is that we can't do and why it is that we can't do it. And if you'll think about those three categories that we spoke about a moment ago, we just try to make excuses about the thing in our hand. We're just like Moses. We're like Peter and others to whom God approached and said, Look, I need you to work for me. I need you to serve. I need you to lead. And we begin to look at our deficiencies. If we think about our time, we'll say that the time is just not right. Look, I'm not saying that there's not a time for me to be involved in the work of the Lord. I'm not saying that my time is not valuable in serving the Lord in some way that stretches me and grows me beyond where I am right now. It's just not right now. I'd like to put it off, please. Now somebody says, you can't kill time without injuring eternity. And every time we push that or kick that can down the road, we're saying something about what God has put into our hands. When we say the time is not right, we fail to remember what Jesus said on the occasion when he's teaching the Samaritan woman. And he says this not to the woman, but to his disciples. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already in the harvest. The time is now. There are things that God needs us to be doing right now. And yet we'll say, I'll be involved in the work of the Lord later. I'll be involved in doing that Bible study or whatever it is at another time. And again, it's human nature, and God's people often needed this admonition, this exhortation. When they came back from the captivity in Babylon, and they had all of these different works to do, one of the things that they had to do that was most important of all was to rebuild the temple. And the Samaritans had frustrated the people of God for 14 years. They had laid the foundations, and now they had stopped. And God speaks to the people through Haggai. And he asked them, saying, is it time for you... You who dwell in your sealed houses, the people who say the time has not come, the time that the house of God should be built. And the word of God came by Haggai the prophet saying, you're dwelling in your paneled houses, you're living in luxury and comfort, and this my house lies waste. I think about those lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7. God had providentially caused the Syrians to be so alarmed that they ran off and they left gold and silver and clothes in their tent. And these lepers come along and they find it. And the first instinct they had was to bury it in the ground. And yet they thought better of it and they said that this is a day of good news. If we wait until morning light and punishment will overtake us, let us go and speak to the king's household. When we look at these individuals here, they show us that really that's the wrong thing to say. I don't know what's next in your service for the kingdom of God. But the thing that is not next is to say, I'll do it later. So often when we think about the things that are in our hand and we consider the the time, we'll say the time has not come. But often we also belittle our talents. There's no more notable example of this. Then the God who had led the Israelites by Moses' hand out of the land of Egypt. Consider again all the signs that God does for Moses to show that he's with him. And then all the signs that Pharaoh and all the Egyptians see that are so great that the most powerful man in the world finally relents and says, Get out of my country. And they go across the Red Sea in spectacular fashion. They go up on Mount Sinai. They receive the law in such a way that the people are afraid at the glory that's seen in Moses' gift of the Ten Commandments. He comes down. He gives it to them. They're marching just uh, right on their way to, to Canaan. They get right to the very edge. And God says, wait a minute. Send those ten spies in. Look at the land and come back and tell me what's it like there. And you remember Caleb's response, but you also remember in Numbers 13 and verse 31 that the majority says that we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. Physically, it's true. There is no way that it would have been a fair fight. It had not been a fair fight against the Egyptians. And yet God had demonstrated that he was more powerful. And the reason why they fell short was because they failed to figure the X factor. And it's bigger than that. Isn't it God who gives to all life and breath and all things, Acts 17 and verse 35? Isn't it God who is being spoken about in James chapter 1 and verse 17 when the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow? When we come to examine our place in the body, all of us have a place. It differs according to the ability that we're given. In God's wisdom, he has made us of all different kinds of temperaments and personalities. He has made us gifted in different ways. There are extroverts, introverts. There are folks who are uh, placed in, in opportunities that allow them to use their talents in different ways. And God says, that's by my design. I'm going to function well when all of us take what we've been given, our talents, and we use them. But God wants us to use them. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, Then shall the king say unto those that are on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. Uh, I was uh, uh, sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And then shall the righteous say unto him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat or thirsty and give you something to drink? A stranger and clothed you naked. A stranger and take you in naked and clothe you, sick and in prison and ministered unto you. And Jesus will say, Inasmuch as you did unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. God is saying... When you consider the talents that have come from my hand, I shaped you. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. God has us all bent in a a particular direction. God wants us to use that bent for his glory in the kingdom. But when it comes to our, our opportunities, sometimes we misuse or we minimize them. You know, as the poet said, As he went along life's busy way, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's a man by the name of Russell Conwell who ultimately would be the founder of Temple University. And he had an Arab guide as he was going down the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And as he explored that, the Arab guide told him a story about a a Persian farmer by the name of Ali Hafed. And Ali Hafed was a wealthy man who uh, had so many resources. He owned a large farm in which there were orchards and there were wheat fields and gardens. And while he was out contented and happy on that farm, a man from the east, a a wise man, came and told him about diamonds. And as Hafed heard about these diamonds, he was told that if you had one the size of your thumb, you could purchase the county. If you had a field full of diamonds, you could go out and and be able to place your children on thrones. Hafed was so taken by that picture that he sold his farm and he left his uh, family in the care of neighbors and he went off to try to find his acres of diamonds. And as he did, he broke his body and his spirit. He went through all of his funds and he was so despondent that he finally went and he drowned himself in the Bay of Barcelona. In the Meantime that farmer, who had bought his farm. He had sold that farm and another man had bought that. He entertains the wise man from the east who comes back to see how Ali Hafed had fared. And when he goes into his house, he sees a huge diamond laying on the new farmer's mantle. And he came to learn that 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 diamond came right out of the garden out back. In fact, this place, this farm, came to be known as the... uh, the diamond mine of Golconda, reputedly to be the largest diamond mine in the world. And the diamonds that came out of that sat on the crowns of monarchs in Russia and Europe for a 100 years. So often I don't realize that the opportunities that I have, I may be looking for some grand place, but it might be right in the backyard If I'll mine and cultivate those things that God has placed into my hand, I can fulfill what Solomon said in the long ago in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Have you thought about the fact that God has groomed you? He has prepared you for service in His kingdom by what has happened in the past. And the fact that God is at work in your life, which we all agree that God is at work through time and events for our good, for the good of the kingdom, then that time, that talent, and that opportunity that He has caused to happen in our lives is so that He can prepare us to serve Him better and in grander ways. But then there's another thing for us to notice, and that is that God can do amazing things with the things in our hands Well, it's incredible, isn't it, that as long as it remained in Moses' hand as he's trying to get God to to indicate to him that that God really wants him to go. You know, he gives him four uh, points of emphasis to say, I really want you to be my man to go and do this work. That one of them that he does is to throw down the staff. And when he throws down the staff, that's when God takes over. And amazing things happen. It becomes a fearsome snake. It's alive and it's crawling around. I know that God doesn't work the miraculous in our lives today, but God is still at work in our lives. And God is doing great things with the things in our hands. When I think of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 where Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's think about those resources. If it's your time, think about what God can do with it. You know, there was a man who works with cancer survivor groups who in speaking to those groups say that when you're a cancer survivor or a supporter of one who is, that that watch on your hand no longer says tick, tick, tick. It says precious, precious, precious. And when you understand that, every chapter becomes an adventure. What would happen in your spiritual life if you took 10 minutes more every day to study the Bible and to pray to God? What kind of a spiritual difference would it make? What kind of difference could be made in a few hours of sitting down with somebody and studying the Bible with them? What kind of difference could be made through a thoughtful word or deed in just a moment's time? If it's your time, however insignificant you think it is, think of the great things that God can do with what's in your hand. But what about if it's your talent? I understand you may not be affluent. You may not be eloquent. You may not think that you're intelligent. But if you use what you have as you can, God can shake the gates of hell through you. He can open the doors of heaven through you and your talent. If it's your opportunities, what can God do with that? Depending on your age, perhaps you're familiar with what happened in the early 1980s. There was a major motion picture that was about to come out, and so the producers of that movie reached out to M&M's and said, we'd like you to be our official candy for this movie. And the producers, uh, the, the, the corporation thought about that, and as they weighed that, they just... They really didn't want to pull the trigger. They weren't sure that this strange movie was going to be a a box office hit. And so, pressed for time, that uh, movie, producers had to withdraw the offer and find an official candy. And they reached out to that candy, perhaps, in my opinion, the best candy that's ever been made, Reese's Pieces. The movie, if you're old enough, you know, E.T., and after that movie came out, the candy sales quadrupled. Who knows how many opportunities have been lost because of a moment's hesitation. You see, when God looks at the resources of our lives, He measures according to what we can do, not according to what we can't do. We're not going to stand and give an account for what we didn't have and weren't given and can't do, but instead what we can. But in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 5 proves to us that God has a purpose for the thing in your hands. Confession, I'll probably get amens from half of you and uh, looks of consternation from the other half. I'm not a musical person. I don't like musicals. But uh, I know because I know somebody very close to me that that likes at least a few of them. Music man, by the way, uh, that person's grandfather's first cousin was one of the singers in that movie, The Music Man. There's a scene that's probably the most familiar. Meredith Wilson's The Music Man where the professor is enamored with Marion the librarian. And he wants her to accept his invitation. He wants to go out with her and asks her to meet him at the bridge over the stream in the middle of the park. She wants to, but she refuses. She says, please. Maybe another time. Maybe tomorrow. He persists. He really wants her to go. And she continues to demur and hold him at bay. And finally in his frustrations, he says, If you pile up enough tomorrows, you'll find you'll have a bunch of empty yesterdays. God says that to you and me. I'm going to. You can count on me someday. But God says to us like he says to Moses, I want you. I want your time I want your talent. I want your affections. I want your opportunities. You're afraid? I can help you to conquer. I can help you to overcome. Because you see, the great things that I'm able to do is not because of me. It's because of the one who lives in me. Galatians 2 and verse 20. So yes, there's an application here this morning. Maybe you're a man who is struggling with and perhaps are about to be faced with a dilemma of of folks who are saying, this, that I would like you to serve as an elder. The elders are, are men that we can trust as they walk through this process. They have a process that they've established. And as they present before us those men who are found to be qualified, maybe that's you. And maybe you belittle your time, your talent, and opportunity. Perhaps through time and events, God has led you to this moment to serve and to help the church at Lehman Avenue to grow. But maybe you're not and will never ever be qualified to serve as an elder. You still have time and talent and opportunity. And God expects you to be growing that and using that to His glory. Man, our task continues to grow as the population of this area continues to boom as we have the opportunity to have more visitors and new members and and all of us who are here today. God wants us to be like Moses and to grasp the thing in our hands and to use it to his glory. But Maybe you've not made the decision yet to allow yourself to be led by God by being obedient to him. Maybe that's where it all begins for you this morning. Maybe you need to respond to His invitation to become one of His children, to become a part of His body and, and thereby be an asset, a resource that He can use to do His work. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and are ready to follow Him, to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and, and to do that very thing, and to allow yourself to be baptized, to have those sins washed away, to become by that act a member of the body of Christ, your sins forgiven, a child of the Father, He wants you to respond and to do that. Maybe not publicly. You know, uh, Shelby, she waited until after church services and responded. Andrew, I believe there were three people present for that baptism. You know, if you know that you need to do that, pull us aside. Let us help you. If you're a child of God who is struggling and you need to make a decision, a change in your life, or maybe you just need us to pray for you. If this is an invitation to which you need to respond... We would encourage you to do so right now as we stand and sing.